My name is Dwayne Cross. I think I've met most of you. I've been here a couple of times the last uh, couple of months. Uh, along with uh, Debbie DiBernardi, it'll be my pleasure to be your pastor for the summer. Is, is Debbie here? I didn't, no, she, I didn't think she was going to be here today. But uh, you had a, a good uh, taste of her heart the last two weeks. And I trust that uh, God really spoke to you through her. Uh, I'm going to be with you for the next, I think, 11 weeks, something like that, one exception in August. And during that time, I told you a couple weeks ago that my goal is to, um, to preach well, to s- serve you well, and to love you well. That's about all I can do at 20 hours a week, but I'm happy to do that. And if you would like uh, to speak to me, talk to me, you can call me, text me, set up an appointment, whatever. I'll be working in the office uh, all day Monday and Tuesday. So I'll be here Sunday, Monday, Tuesday each week. And, and then, of course, there's an emergency. Uh, I can come up. It's just 90 minutes away where I live. So I'll be happy to uh, pastor you in that way. My wife, Sherry, is in Colorado. Uh, don't you wish you were there? It's like 70 degrees today there. Uh, she's there on a girl's trip. I think it's punishment for my fishing trip last weekend. And uh, so there's five of her friends uh, that are in Colorado for a wonderful time. And uh, you'll uh, enjoy her. She's the best part of me and really the best part of my ministry. So you'll really love getting to know Sherry in the coming weeks as well. Um, I've served churches, um, I was ordained in 1978, I've served churches in San Diego, California for seven years, um, Denver, Colorado for five years, uh, Roseville, Minnesota for 10 years, and uh, then most recently Hope Covenant Church in Chandler, Arizona for 15 years. I retired in October of 2015. As I told you a couple of weeks ago, I'm terrible at retirement. Uh, that's why I'm here today. And, uh, but I'm still wanting to serve Christ in the church. I love our denomination in any way I can. So I'll be happy to do that. And I also work for the conference uh, doing some seminars on helping churches get healthy. So those are some of the things that uh, I've been doing and will continue to do. But for this summer... I'm going to be here, be your pastor, and I would love to get to know you. Now, I know that you don't normally wear name tags, but anytime you can wear a name tag, it would help me. And uh, when you come up and say hi to me, start with your name. And when I tell you stop, that means I've, I've got your name down, okay? So start with your name, and uh, that will really help me a lot. So I've been having some time alone with God recently that's been very rich, And um, a while back, the Lord impressed on me uh, Philippians 3, 8. And this is what that beautiful text says. Nothing compares to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what Paul said. Nothing compares to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And as I was meditating on that, um, the Lord impressed on me that that is my heart for Grace Community Church for the summer. That's what I will be focusing on. That's what I will be preaching on. That's what I will be instructing you on and guiding you on and helping you understand this enormous grace that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, I value a lot of things. I value fishing very much. I value pizza. I value um, living in Arizona. There's a lot of things I value that are very important to me. 
But there's some things that I really value, right? I really value a a home that's comfortable. We live in Sun Lakes, cars that run well. Um, I really value friends and relationships and all kinds of neat things. But there's some things then that are extraordinary value to me. My wife of 48, almost 48 years. My two grown children and their spouses and our eight grandchildren in Portland, Oregon, Vidalia, Georgia. I really value the close intimacy of the local church. Those are things that have extraordinary value to me. But there's only one thing that has infinite value. And that is knowing Jesus personally and experiencing his life in its fullness. So those are the things that I would really love to um, spread over you during this summer. And it's going to be a joy. It's going to be an honor. Again, help me remember your name by reminding me when I see you. And uh, right now, I would just like to pray as we open the word. And what I do many times is invite you, you don't have to, but invite you to just extend your hands like this. It's kind of showing a a, a receptivity to the word and to the Father. So if you're so inclined to just extend your hands like this to show the spirit of receptivity. Father, uh, this is your church. Uh, This is one expression of the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ that you love, that you died for. And so, Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move over this congregation in a powerful way. And as the word of God goes forward, that that word would take root deeply in each and every life. Thank you, Father, for your great love, for your great grace. And thank you, Father, because nothing compares to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. May we experience that together. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, amen, amen. Okay, I'm going to come up here. I'm not going to sit down like David. I'm, at my age, I might fall asleep. So I'm going to stand up. And uh, that's what I'm most comfortable with. And uh, share with you from the Lord. Now, um, I'm kind of old school. So most of you recognize this, right? You've seen it before? Okay, it's called a Bible. And now I know there is absolutely nothing wrong with your iPhones and your phones and your tablets and your, you know, whatever you use, uh, papyrus, you know, whatever you use, however old you are, it doesn't matter as long as it's the Word of God. But uh, one thing you're going to hear me say over and over again this summer, and I'll say it in different ways, but um, uh, the truth of it is deepens my soul, and it's this. Read your Bibles. Pick up your Bible and read it. Uh, you will find amazing, I mean amazing things in God's Word. Now, if those of you who are fully devoted followers of Christ, you already know this. And you know how that this nourishes you and feeds you and blesses you, the Word of God. Now, those of you who are new to the faith, I just want to encourage you that as a young believer, this is how you grow in your faith. And for those of you who are still unconvinced that you're not sure if this Jesus thing or Bible thing or church thing is really for you, I just want to challenge you. Open your Bible. And if you don't have one, the church has, we'll give you one. Um, Open your Bible and see what you find out from this amazing book. So brothers and sisters, read your Bibles. Now I want to begin with kind of an overarching verse 
that we're going to be talking about. We're going to be looking at, by the way, 2 Timothy is our text today, chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. But in First Timothy, or in Second Timothy 1, uh, uh, Paul writes kind of this overarching theme of the entire book of Second Timothy. Here's what that theme says, Second Timothy 1.14. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, now listen to the intimacy of this verse. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, who lives, what? Within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been tr- entrusted to you. That is very personal. That is very intimate. That is very passionate. The Holy Spirit that lives within us. Now, what's interesting is in the Old Testament, uh, God would kind of always speak to you from on high or from a burning bush or from a cloud or from an angel or something. But God was kind of always on the outside of you speaking to you, right? In the New Testament, everything changed because Jesus fulfilled the law. Everything changed. And now it's God from up there speaking to you. It's God living within you. Colossians 1.27, Christ in us, the hope of glory, right? So this precious truth that God has entrusted to you and that he entrusted to Timothy and to Paul, this precious truth is what we call the gospel. And the gospel means what? Good news, right? We know that. Now, if you ever want a good definition of the gospel, a biblical definition, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 to 8. Okay, that describes the gospel perfectly. Uh, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That he was buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And he appeared to Peter and to the 12 and to 500. And all of these people saw him alive. That is the very essence of of the gospel. This is the precious truth that Paul is telling Timothy and in concert telling you and me that we must embrace and protect and guard, to guard the truth. This Christ in me, the hope of glory. Another interesting thing about uh, this, this idea of Christ being in us, this is a brand new thing. Uh, to the Old Testament, to the Jewish people and to people who were around the Old Testament. It was a brand new thing. Uh, Jesus said it over and over again. So did Paul, so did Peter. They all affirmed the same thing. But this idea of Christ being in us. In Galatians and Colossians, Paul talks about a mystery. You've all read that mystery. I don't know if you've ever delved into it enough to know what the mystery is. Here's what the mystery is. The mystery is two things. The mystery is, first of all, that Christ can actually live in you the hope of glory, that Christ can actually live in you by faith, live in you, not around you, but in you. He can live in you. That's the mystery that the Old Testament prophets didn't understand. And the second part of the mystery is that that good news, that gospel is available to everyone. Before this, it was only the Hebrew Hebrew people that had God and knew God and had this relationship with God. It was the Hebrew people. But now everything changed in the New Testament. I mean, the Old Testament had a shelf life. Everything changed with Jesus. And Jesus said, the gospel is not only available to the Hebrew people, of course, God loves them, but the gospel is also available to the Gentiles, non-Jews. And the gospel is all, are you ready for this? The gospel is already always available to the pagans. So that includes some of you, right? So, I mean, it's everyone, the Hebrews, the non-Hebrews, pagans, Gentiles. So that was the mystery of the gospel in Galatians and and Colossians, the mystery of the gospel, that Christ can live in you and that Christ is for everyone. This is that precious truth that the author is trying to express to us. So what's happening to Paul when he's writing 2 Timothy? 
Well, Paul's, this is the last letter that Paul wrote before he was martyred, martyred sometime 67, 68 A.D., uh, the latter part of the sixth, century, sixth decade A.D., and uh, during this time, Paul knew that he was, his time was coming to an end. He wrote in uh, verses 6 and 7, My time of death is near. My life has been poured out. Paul said, I've given everything I have. I poured out my life. <laughs> everything I've had, everything I possibly can have, I've given to the gospel. I poured out for this precious truth. I poured out. Now, simultaneously, while Paul was experiencing this in an Ephesian prison, what was going on in the world around him? Well, Uh, In AD 64, you know what happened? Rome burned. Uh, The legend has it that Nero played the fiddle while Rome burned. That's probably not true. But the true thing that did come out of that is that Paul, excuse me, um, uh, Nero blamed the Christians for Rome burning. He blamed, he called them Christians because it's kind of, he didn't want to say Christians. Christians is kind of a negative term, but that's who he was talking about. He blamed the Christians for that. And so he kicked up immensely the persecution against them. And he began what we now know as Nero's Circus. Anybody heard of Nero's Circus? Okay, a few of you have. The Nero's Circus was this place where they would have all of this tremendous persecution. Uh, they would burn Christians at the stake. They would put them in with wild black bears and wild dogs and other wild animals. And thousands of Christians were martyred in the latter part of the sixth decade and going into the seventh decade. This was the context in which Paul was writing this letter from an Ephesian prison. He knew what was going on. He knew what the Christ followers were facing. It was not going to be easy. It was going to be really hard. And so this is what he wrote. And you can follow along with me. This is the text for today, 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 8. Now, when I'm reading this, think of bullets flying overhead and all kinds of amazing persecution, friends and relatives dying in Nero's circus. Think of that as you're hearing Paul write this letter to Timothy and by extension to you. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. And verse 8, always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. There's the gospel again. This is the good news I preach. This is the precious truth that Paul is telling us to take care of, to guard, to protect this precious truth. Now, there were violent times that led to Paul's pleas to the church. The church was faced with distorted values. Um, You've got to remember that in the early church, they didn't have the scriptures like we do to give us guidance. That's why Paul was writing these letters. But those letters are being circulated and very few of copies were available. They had probably remnants of the Gospel of Mark or parts of the Gospel of Mark in the middle part of the sixth decade, but not a lot. So it was a constant, important battle that the 
deacons and the pastors did to proclaim to his congregation what this truth was. So they had these distorted values. Like, for instance, we get the same thing, right? Um, Christ plus anything equals nothing. Now, Christian, especially evangelical Christians in the last 50 years have really gotten this wrong. We've got Christ plus politics equals something. No, no. Christ plus speaking in tongues equals something. No, no, no. Christ plus um, the correct doctrine. No, 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 no. Christ plus anything equals nothing. Another way of saying that is Christ plus nothing equals everything. We don't need anything more than Jesus. That's what we have. And that's the point that they were trying to make. And they have all these distorted values. The Jewish people would come in. They were getting saved. That was great. But they'd say, yeah, it's Christ plus getting circumcised. Jesus said, no, no, it's not circumcision of the flesh. It's circumcision what? Of the heart, right? So it's, again, that internal thing, that personal, that intimate thing of Jesus living within us. So there was this distorted values, misleading commitments, the old ways of Judaism, what do we do with that? Confused thinking, dangerous misconceptions. In spite of all of that, Paul said over and over again, carefully guard this precious truth, the gospel. So he gives in this text five really important ways that we can guard this precious truth. The first one is simply be strong. I'm not talking about um, uh, lifetime fitness strong or where I go mountainside fitness strong. I'm not talking about muscle head strong. We're talking about something completely different. He said be strong through the grace God gives you. So strength is connected to grace. Okay, you've probably never thought of it quite that way. Strength is connected to grace because grace on its surface kind of seems to some people kind of namby-pamby, like, oh, you're not holding people accountable. No, grace is what gives us the strength. Uh, The best way to translate this is keep on being empowered by the grace of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Keep on being empowered by the grace of Jesus. Now, in Timothy, Paul talks about how that um, people have disappointed us. Demas deserted me, he said. Um, Alexander uh, did some weird stuff. People disappointed him. They deserted him. The pressures on Paul mounted, and that's why it was so important that he was communicating to Timothy and all the other young pastors throughout Asia Minor. Be sure that you're empowered by the grace of Jesus. Paul knew that he was weak. He said, I'm the greatest of all sinners. Timothy knew that he was flawed. In fact, sometimes Timothy said, I just want to give up. I'm I'm not good enough to be a follower of Jesus. But that's not being empowered by the grace of Jesus. So back in the uh, mid-20th century, um, there was a a Chinese author that became kind of anglicized. His name was Watchman Nee. How many of you are familiar with Watchman Nee? Okay, a few of you. If you want to read a great book, The Normal Christian Life, it was printed in the 40s or 50s, something like that. But uh, in this book, he has this one phrase, and I'm paraphrasing, and it's a powerful thought about being empowered by the grace of Jesus. And so people were complaining to him, well, and you've said this before, I know it, well, man, I, I messed up again. I I sinned again. The same sin that's caught me, that's trapped me, that's been my Achilles heel for 40 years, for 20 years, for two years. How can can Jesus possibly love me still? How can he possibly forgive me again? Here's what Watchman Nee said. How dare you presume 
that the grace of Jesus isn't big enough to cover your sins. How dare you think that you can sin in some way that God can't forgive you anymore? That's the power of the grace of God. And when you're living in that strength, you never give up. You never give up. You never say, I'm done. I'm through. You say, no, I, I messed up. God, forgive me. But I'm, I'm, I'm strong in the grace of Jesus because his grace is so great. It covers all my sins. I'm ready to go again. I'm ready to march again. Find power in the grace that God gives you in Jesus Christ. There's a second thing that we find in the text, and it's this. Teach these truths to others. Now, the actual word teach means literally commit or deposit. I love that word. Deposit these truths to others. How many of you are volunteering with VBS this week? Raise your hands. There are, um, Lucy and Mel told me there are over 100, 101 volunteers for VBS this week. Is there any more important venture than pouring this truth, this precious truth of the gospel into our children? Is there anything that makes a more, a bigger difference? Because uh, 90% of all people that come to Jesus come to Jesus before age 18. We need to put our children in a place where they're constantly being deposited. We are depositing in them this precious grace, this precious grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over the 15 years I served at Hope, um, I had the privilege of having um, wonderful associates, uh, associate pastors, worship pastors, youth pastors, and children's pastors. I had amazing people. One of the things that gets me the most excited is this. Five of those associate pastors that served me over those 15 years at Hope are now lead pastors in covenant churches. And one of them is lead pastor right here, right? From 2004 to 2011, uh, David was my associate pastor. And this idea of depositing or committing the truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel, into young people and to young men like David when he was just out of seminary. and to It matters so much. It changes the world when we are passing on our faith to others. We're losing uh, this generation. We're losing the millennials. You know this. You've read about it. They're not going to church. They're walking away from their faith. We have got to do what VBS is doing and deposit the gospel of Jesus Christ into these children while they are young. Because then the truth is this. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Yeah, I know you're only six years old when you said yes to Jesus, but I will never leave you or forsake you. Deposit this precious truth into others. One of the things that you will find out about my wonderful, beautiful wife, uh, Sherry, is that she loves to disciple young women. And if if you want that kind of a ministry, you let her know when you see her next, next Sunday. We need to pour this truth, deposit, commit this truth into young people. The next way that we guard this precious truth is by enduring suffering. And at this point you're saying, can we skip that one? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, got an, I've had enough suffering in my life. I don't want any more. Well, remember 
What Paul is going through, he's in Ephesian prison. He's about ready to croak. He's going to be martyred, right? Um, bullets are flying. Nero's killing Christians by the hundreds, sometimes daily. It, all this is happening when he says endure suffering. He uses three metaphors to help us understand what this endure suffering means. The first metaphor is that of a good soldier. Uh, my dad was in the Navy in World War II. I would have gone to Vietnam after college, except they had the lottery and my number was really low, so I well, didn't go to Vietnam. But then my son, Nathan, after 9-11, uh, enrolled and went into the Army and became a medic. Uh, you can learn about a lot about um, people who have been in the military, people who serve uh, our country because they believe in freedom. You can learn a lot about them. And that's the imagery that Paul is using here. I've read a lot of books, especially on the Civil War and World War II, a lot of them, uh, hundreds of books on that subject. And one thing you find out is this, this courage that comes. And it's not so much from the, the mission. Uh, the privates in the uh, trenches, they're not so concerned about the mission of what we're doing. What they're concerned about is the guy next to them, right? And if you've been in the military, you know what I'm saying. The guy in the trench next to them. And they are absolutely committed, this uncompromised loyalty to people next to them. Single-mindedness is the phrase that Paul uses. He says, don't get tied up in the affairs of life. Uh, in the military, you've got to do what your officer tells you. You've got to obey, obey by the rules. You've got to, you can't get tied up in the affairs of the world. I, I was... Um, I was serving uh, a Genesis church up in North Phoenix in the Paradise Valley area uh, for nine months after I retired and um, while they were searching for their pastor. And by the way, the pastor they hired, Ryan Lunsford, was also one of my former staff members at Hope. So it's really kind of cool. And uh, anyway, I was uh, serving up there and it was around uh, November 2016 during the elections, Right. And I go out into, they have a big narthex there. They share this building with Alice Cooper's ministry, who, by the way, is a great, amazing brother in Christ. And um, so they, they, they have this big, uh, large uh, kind of, uh, you know, lobby area. And I was just talking to people, and I was overhearing all these conversations about, mm, but Hillary, no, but Trump, and you've got an immune, there's kind of this anger and this edge, and you know, people are, and so I thought, oh, you know what, I need to say something. I need to say, I love these people, and you guys probably did the same thing, some of you. Some of you are, of course, holy, and you didn't, but most of the rest of you did. Uh, you just have this, like that. And here's what I told the congregation at Genesis. Yes, get involved in politics, get involved, know what you believe, be able to express it. But when you express your views, do two things. Express your views knowing and understanding that Jesus is standing right next to you. And the second thing, and this is the most important, save your greatest passion for Jesus. Please don't use up all your passion on politics. What a waste of time. There's nothing wrong with being involved and getting connected and all of that, but save your greatest passion for Jesus. That's what he's saying when he talks about this idea of being a good soldier. The gospel deserves and requires single-minded devotion, undivided attention, in spite of the huge risk of suffering. Remember Nero's circus. The next thing we find, the next metaphor he uses is that of an athlete. When I was a, a junior in high school, we were finishing up our season, and we were going for the conference title against another high school. This was in San Diego. And um, 
I played left guard on off on de- on offense and middle linebacker on defense. And um, it was 21-16. Helix was ahead. 11 seconds to go. Fourth quarter. Fourth down. In other words, last play of the game. We were on the three-yard line of Helix. And uh, in the huddle, in those, in those days, they actually let the kids call the plays. Imagine that, that a quarterback would actually call a play. Quarterback hasn't called a play in 20 years in any level of football, but back in those days, they did. So Alex Garcia, our quarterback, called our best play, our favorite play, um, power sweep right. And I love that because I was the left guard. So as a left guard, I would pull out and run down the line of scrimmage, and then I would, in a loving, caring way, annihilate somebody, Okay. <laughs> That's what I did, and you know, and it was fun, and and he decleats somebody, and so so anyway, so the, he calls the play, so we're all pumped up, we're fighting, we know we're, we never get less than three yards on this using this play, and so we start running it, and and he snaps the ball, I pull out, I go down there, the tight end pinched the uh, defensive end, so I didn't have him, but the linebacker was there, and I just plowed into him, and there's huge hole, and then. After I looked around, I looked back, and five yards behind the line of scrimmage on the other side of the field, field, they had tackled our halfback. Everybody on the team heard power sweep right, except the halfback. He heard power sweep left. You got to be on the same page, you know, because uh, in, in athletics, that's what he said. You've got to be on the same page because you can't win the prize without following the rules, the discipline of the athlete. How many of you were in awe, as I was, of LeBron James? Yes, they didn't win the championship, but this human specimen, talk about giving every ounce of everything you have for a game. I was just blown away by that. That's what Paul is talking about. I, when, I, when I was uh, coaching football, uh, I coached uh, 11-year-olds uh, when my son turned 11, and there was one boy who never played football, and uh, all they were just in their shells and their helmets for the first day of practice. I told them to take a lap. This is in Colorado. Take a lap. So they did. And the boy came back. He said, coach, 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 coach. I said, what is it? What is it? He said, ah, my, my face is leaking. I said, you mean sweat? He said, yes. What is that? And so, now, quite honestly, this wasn't a kid problem. This was a parent problem. If you have a kid and you've never had him sweat, there's something wrong with you as a parent. But, I mean, we've got to figure out how to be disciplined because giving 100% on the field, the court, the diamond, that's what we expect. 99.9% will not do. If you work for Coca-Cola and 99.9% is what you're going for, that means 5.5 million cases of Coca-Cola will have no fizz. 99.9%. If you work the pharmaceutical industry, 99.9% will give you 20,000 wrong prescriptions. If you're the IRS, I know you're not, but if you were, 2 million incorrect documents if you're 99.9% correct. In a hospital, 12 newborns given to the wrong parents, 291 faulty pacemakers, 99.9% won't get it done. Paul said there has to be complete devotion complete commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we do it. And the third metaphor was that of farmers, the diligence of farmers. Now, you and I enjoy the fruit of their labors every single day. I saw a bumper sticker that said, if you eat, you're involved in farming. Good point. 4 a.m. milking, long days, hard work. Paul says the gospel deserves the kind of absolute diligence that a farmer shows to guard this precious truth of the gospel. Here's what these three metaphors say. Here's the next slide. Single-minded devotion. 
undivided heart and absolute surrender to the gospel. Here's another way to guard the precious truth. Paul says, consider what I say. In other words, think about these things. G.K. Chesterton, a wonderful uh, author, uh, he was contemporary of C.S. Lewis. G.K. Chesterton wrote, think of God. And then he followed that up and he said, think magnificently of God. That's how we're to think. I was uh, a week ago today, I was uh, off of Sitka on a fishing trip with uh, uh, nine other guys, and we were catching fish. It was on a, it was Sunday, and boy, I thought magnificently of God. I thought magnificently of halibut and king salmon too, but I really thought magnificently of God. Paul says, consider what I say. Really think about the The Greek word for think is muse. The negative of muse is amuse. Now, for those of you that have children that have computer games, amuse is the absence of thinking. So be careful how long they're on their computer games, right? We are to have this, in our society, we have this kind of purpose of amusing ourselves, which means not thinking, stop, pause, meditate, be alone with God. These are some things that Debbie can really help us with this summer is how to really stop and think magnificently of God. Paul said it this way in Philippians 4, 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Paul says there's one final way to guard the truth, and it's a simple word. The word is remember. Verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Remember what this precious gospel is. I believe that one of the sorely missed spiritual disciplines in our uh, repertoire is remembering. Remember what it was like when you gave your heart to Jesus. I was 16 years old at a Youth for Christ rally. Remember what it was like when you first gave your heart to Jesus. Remember what it was like when you first started following hard after God. Remember, remember, remember. God said it this way. Remember when I I helped you cross the Red Sea? He said to the Israelites. Don't you remember that? This is when they were complaining and griping. Ah, we should go back to Egypt where there's delicious leeks and onions, right? No, no. remember that I helped you cross the Red Sea. So they struggled. They said, but we don't have enough fresh water. So God provided fresh water from the rock, right? Well, we're hungry. Uh, we're, we're tired of scorpions and, and rabbits. You know. So God provided manna. So, well, we're tired of wonder bread. So God provided quail. God was, uh, remember what I've done for you. Remember, remember, remember what God has done. But pastor, I, I, I feel so alone. Remember that Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But I'm so afraid. Remember, perfect love casts out fear but I feel so hopeless in my life. David said in Psalm 20, 37, 25, I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. But my kids are so lost. Remember, Jesus said, I am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus is the hound of every man. He won't let your kids go. But my life is so out of control. Remember, Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father is always at work, and so am I.
My Father is always at work. And so am I. Remember, He will never leave you or forsake you. Brothers and sisters, life is hard, especially as Christ followers. Sometimes we feel hopeless, helpless, discouraged. Here's Paul's words. Guard the truth. Be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Teach or deposit this gospel to others, especially to our children. Endure suffering like a, with a soldier's single-minded devotion, an athlete's 100% dedication, a, a farmer's diligence. Consider, muse, think on these things, think magnificently of God, and remember, remember, remember. So we were on the last day of our fishing, which was last um, Wednesday. Um, we were driving back, and I was riding with a skipper in the cabin, about an hour drive back from where we were out catching fish. And uh, we started talking, and I asked him about his life, and he told me that he was, we called himself a lapsed Pentecostal. Okay, lapsed. You know, what is, that means you're not really embracing the grace of Jesus. But he said, I'm a lapsed Pentecostal. I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, when I was a child, I, I gave my heart to Jesus, and I, you know, I was part of that, and then I got married, and she was Catholic, and we couldn't find a church, and so we just stopped going, and we kind of forgot about our faith. He said, he said I, I, I've never forgotten about God, but I think he, he's forgotten about me. And I was able to share with Captain Steve, we called him, about this amazing, precious gift of the gospel that never goes away that never runs out, that's never depleted, that's infinite and eternal, the grace of God. Paul said, I'm willing to do anything to reach one more for Christ. How about you? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, this, um, this infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, is a powerful idea, powerful concept. And I pray, Father, that you would allow this truth to just embrace our hearts. That this precious, precious cargo, the pearl of great price, the gospel of Jesus Christ that's in us, that we would guard with all our hearts and that we would share with our children and with all who are interested. Father, we pray that... um, You would help us as a congregation to embrace the intimacy of Jesus and to guard the truth of the gospel. For we ask these things in the precious and the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.